is when we, um, I don't think it was that I overesteemed the value of the word. I still tremendously value teaching, preaching, and healing. It's not that my view of that has come down. It's that my view of relational ministry and helps ministry has come up to understand that God values all of it. And um, so uh, to me, that's just extremely important to be able to see God's value. When we elevate one ministry to the exclusion of others, what happens then is that if people think like I thought, if people think that everything is pulpit ministry and that pulpit ministry is the sum and substance and totality of what God wants to do on the earth, then obviously then everything else is not really important. So what happens then is everybody thinks that God can only use the preacher and that everybody else is really just, you're a spectator, you're an observer. And the purpose, according to Ephesians 4, the purpose of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is really to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. And, and, and then the body will be edified. But unfortunately, you know, and part of it is because we live in a certain type of society in so many cases, and we have to guard ourselves against this, um, preachers become entertainers, not equippers. And, you know, you can, be, you can learn to be so clever and motivational that everybody leaves feeling really good, but they're just feeling good because, you know, you know you've blessed them and that's good. But if we don't equip people to do the work of the ministry, then we've fallen short of our responsibility as in pulpit-type ministry. And so I want us to turn in our Bibles to another section of Scripture. We looked at Matthew 9, 35 through 38. We saw that there are three levels that Jesus presented. The first is the ministry of the Word and the Spirit, uh, preaching, teaching, and healing. Teaching, preaching, and healing. The second is pastoral, or what I'm really calling more relational-type ministry, where we take people through process as opposed to just the events of a Bible lesson or the event of a sermon. Um, so there's, there's the Word and the Spirit, there's the relational or pastoral touch, personal touch level, and then there's the multiplication of laborers, which is the entire spectrum of helps ministry. And it's when we put all three dimensions together that we have a full expression of God working the earth. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 4, um, I'm reading from the New King James Version, Romans 12, 4, Paul says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. I want you to look at that very carefully. We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. That word same is so key. That word same is so critical. What if the Bible said, and it doesn't, but what if the Bible said, we have many members in one body, 
but not all the members have a function. We have many members in one body, but not all the members have a function. That's not what it says, thank God. It says we have many members in one body, but not all the members have the same function. See, what does that imply? It implies that every member has a function in the body. But we don't all have the same. So not all ministry is going to look alike. See, I thought all ministry looked like Brother Hagin. You're in the pulpit, you're teaching, you're prophesying, you're going and laying hands on people in a healing line. We have many members in one body, but not all the members have the same function. Now, what if, if the Bible did say we have many members in one body, but not all the members have a function? I couldn't teach what I'm teaching today. Because here's what I'd have to say. This would be my message today. Folks, the Bible says we have many members in one body, but we don't all have a function. So I need to let you know today the good news is that we're all part of the body. We're all born again. We're all children of God. We all are part of the family of God. The bad news is perhaps many of you have no function whatsoever. There's a few of us that are especially loved by God and He gave us gifts and we have value. There's a few of us that have gifts and skills from God. But, but many of you, I'm sorry to say, have no function whatsoever. You, you're, you're, you have no worth. You have no value. You have no purpose. Um, I guess, you know, you should be thankful that you're going to go to heaven and that you get to be a part of our family. But, but as far as function, you don't have any. <coughs> You have no gifts, no talent, no skill. You have nothing to contribute, nothing to give. We have many members in one body, but not all the members have a function. That'd be a nasty message, wouldn't it? And then everybody's sitting there saying, man, I wonder if I'm the one that has no function. I, I, I've had these feelings of insecurity. Maybe that's why. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to benefit anybody else. But see, the Bible says we have many members in one body, but we don't all have the same function, which means we all have a function, just not the same. Well, well, how does this work then if we don't have the same function? So we, verse 5, <clears throat> being many, are one body in Christ. Indiv now, this is powerful. People always ignore this. Individually, we are members of one another. Individually, we are members of one another. What this means is that we have a responsibility to each other. This means that there's something in our functioning that requires interconnectedness to one another. This is why a person cannot legitimately say, well, I don't go to church. I, I just have my relationship with God. Ch my church is Starbucks. I go, I go to Starbucks and take my Bible and I fellowship with God. That's my church. No, that's your devotions. Church means body. Church means we're members of one another. 
Uh, church means that we serve one another, we meet together, we fellowship, we have responsibility to use our gifts to one another. Paul says we are individually members of one another. Having then, look at verse 6, having then gifts differing. Isn't that, aren't you glad that God's not cloning us? after each other, that we're all... I mean, how boring would it be if all of us were the same? God, God kind of likes diversity. And He likes unity. You know, He wants us to have a common purpose, but, but he, he doesn't want it... We're not a monochromatic, you know, um, uh, all look-alike, all clone type thing. We have gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Mobilized believers. Mobilized believers is when believers are using the differing, not the same gifts based on graces that God has given. So we're not all going to be preachers. We're not all going to be teachers. We're not all going to, you know, Paul said, do we all have gifts of healings? No. Do we all, are we all workers of miracles? No. We, we have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. One of the most liberating things that can happen is when you understand what you are not called to do. Because it takes pressure off of you. Um, he goes on to say then, if, everybody say if. if. If, what does if mean? Maybe, maybe not. If it's prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or if it's ministry or ser- that word, you might even just make this note. That word means serving. The reason I have to clarify this is we, we have... <laughs> In our thinking, we think the word ministry means preaching. And that's not what this word means. Could include that, but this word means serving. Anything that you do to serve somebody else is ministering. So that's why sometimes you'll hear people say we're all called to the ministry. Meaning we're all called to serve, but it's going to look very different how we do it. Or ministry or serving... Let us use it, our gifts, our graces in serving. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now let me say some of these, uh, talk about some of this for a little bit. Um, In this particular passage of Scripture, Paul is talking about a special measure of grace that enables you to function in a way that is different than how other people might function. For example, let me me take some of the mercy... Uh, serving, giving, all three of those are listed, right? Mercy. Paul did not intend for us to look at this passage of Scripture and say, oh, I just don't think mercy is my gift. 
Therefore, I don't have to be merciful to anybody. That's not, or I don't have to give anything because giving, you know, the, the offering is being passed, the tithes and offerings. And sorry, Pastor John, giving's not my, I'm, that's not my gift. Well, the problem with that is that there's other scriptures where Paul is just talking about mercy from a general standpoint or giving from a general standpoint. And there is, there are scriptures that deal with mercy and giving as a, you ready for this term, basic Christian responsibility. So you can't use this as a cop-out to say, we don't all have the same gift. That's not my gift. I don't have to be merciful to anybody. I don't have to give a penny in the church. That's not my gift. No, there's other verses that teach us we have a basic Christian responsibility to do some of these things. But this passage, when you read it in its full context, he's talking about things that people, and, 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 and there's, I, I don't want to get real spiritual about it, so you just have a, could even call it, some people call it a knack. Somebody's just got a knack. They use that phrase in Rhode Island and Massachusetts, got a knack to do that. Maybe that's one of those Texas colloquialisms that Brother Hagin talked about. But somebody just has, they have an inclination. They're just always doing a certain thing. They do it really well. They're especially gifted in that area. That's really what Paul is talking about here. So let's talk about these areas. First of all, I want you to notice that some of these are verbal and some of these are nonverbal. Did you know that not everybody serves God by opening their mouth? Notice this list, prophecy. Well, that's, that's pretty much a vocal or verbal thing. But the next one, ministry or serving, serving is typically non-vocal or non-verbal. Teaching and exhortation are typically vocal. But giving is typically not vocal. Leading could be some of both. Sometimes people lead through vocal things, but how many of you know a lot of times people lead by example? So give, leading could be either, and mercy, um, very often mercy is expressed non-vocally. So here's what we see is that when God gives grace to people to function, these are functional expressions. We don't all have the same function some people function by saying something. Some people function by doing something. So if you're not a preacher, you don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to feel left out. Let me take one of these, for example, giving. Now, in other, how many of you know other scriptures teach that every Christian can and should be generous? But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Here he's talking about a specific function that might be different than the way other people function. Personally, I believe that every Christian can, and I believe, I know not everybody agrees with me, I think everybody should tithe. I think every believer should honor God with the first 10%. That's what I've practiced since my wife and I were janitors cleaning toilets, and we have been so blessed, you know, to honor God with the tithe. Um, but I think, every, I think that's the basic standard. I, I think what Paul is talking about here is above and beyond that. 
Let me give you an example. Several years ago, this is back at Rama when I was an assistant pastor there, a guy came up to me in church. And he said, Brother Cook, I want to share a testimony with you. And I said, sure. And he said, I've always felt, he said, ever since I've been walking with God, he said, I, I felt called. And um, he said, um, but I, I've, I've never, ever wanted to preach. As a matter of fact, just if I stop and think about me having to get up behind the pulpit and stand in front of a group of people, he said, it would almost make me physically ill to think about getting up and giving a sermon. But he said, I've always felt called. And he said, for the longest time, I felt this huge conflict within myself. I I felt God was calling me and I wanted to obey God, but I was terrified of the idea of standing behind a pulpit. And he said, a few years ago, he said, you guys were teaching. I don't remember which minister, but he said, one of the pastors was up teaching on Romans 12. We have gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We have many members in one body, but we don't all have the same function. And he's talking, Paul's talking about a grace-based gift that functions for the benefit of others. And he said, when you guys read giving was one of the... He said, I turned and looked at my wife and said, that's it. That's what we're called to do. We've been given grace by God to be givers. And he said, now, my wife and I, we'd always been tithers. We'd always honored God with 10% given beyond that. But he said, we began to realize the part of the church service that we enjoyed most was not the worship, was not the sermon. The part that we got the most thrilled with was the offering. Now, I'm not going to ask by show of hands how many of you, that is the part of the service you look forward to the most. But if you have, this is just my opinion, I don't know, but I think if you have this giving thing as the way Paul describes it in Romans 12, it's very likely that the tithes and offerings is your favorite part of the church service. Yeah, worship's fine, sermon's fine, but man, we live for the offering. And so this, this guy told me, he said, so uh, a few years ago, my wife and I decided that if, if we're called to do this, then we probably need to go way above and beyond the 10%. And he said, so we set a goal for that year uh, to give 20% of our income to God. And he said, we did that. And he said, this year, uh, if we stay the same as we are right now, by the end of this year, we're going to have given 30% of our income to God. He said, next year, we're going for 40%. And he said, our goal is, and he said, now we're believing God and we're trusting God. And he said, but, but our goal is to increase our giving every year by 10% until we can get to our goal of giving 90% of our income to God every year and living on 10%. Now, how many of you, that's your goal? No, I'm just kidding. I don't, uh, but that was his goal. Now, can I share something with you? You don't need to feel guilty because that's not your goal. I believe that he's a Romans 12 
person who is especially graced in that area of giving. And, and see, the cool thing about it is nobody suggested that he should do that. That came from within. Nobody pressured him to do that. Nobody suggested he do that. Nobody manipulated him to do that. That came from within. That was his joy to do that. And see, when you have grace in an area, you're going to find that you enjoy things that other people would think, how, how could you enjoy that? Right. Now, let's take serving, for example. Serving. How many of you know everybody can serve? Can serve? The Bible says we're to serve one another. So you don't have to have a special call from God Let's say, for example, Pastor John gets up and says, hey, we're going to do something in here. And after Sunday morning service or Saturday morning, it'd be Sunday morning. After Sunday morning, we need 20 of you men to help stack some, you know, the first 10 rows of chairs. We need you to stack them up and stack them up here. We're going to do something here on Monday. And uh, how many of you know, if, if you're an able-bodied person that it's okay for you to go ahead and pick up some chairs and move them. You don't have to have a special calling. You don't have to have a special anointing. Um, you know, God doesn't even have to speak to you to do it. You just help out because you're part of the family, right? And, and pastor says something needs to be done. So, but see, you don't have to have a Romans 12 gift of serving to pick up a few chairs and carry them. That's just, you know, and I, I, I actually don't say this anymore, but there have been a few times in, in our past where Lisa would say, Tony, you know, tomorrow's trash day. Be sure to get up early and get the trash out to the curb. And I've said in, in distant past, I've said, honey, you know, I just don't feel led. I just... I just don't sense that calling, that anointing is just not there. And she usually tells me to be quiet and take the trash out. <laughs> Nicely, she tells me to be quiet and take the trash out. See, I don't have to have a special calling to take the trash out. Maybe that is my special calling when she calls me to do it. But anyway, uh, you know why I do that? Because I'm a husband. Because I'm part of the family. It's just, a, it's just a family duty. It's just a family. I don't have to have a special calling, anointing, goosebumps, anything. I just do it. It's a, it's a basic family responsibility. There's some things we do in the body of Christ. Just I don't have to have a... You know, if, if you, know, you say, come up to me and apologize for something, I don't need to have a special outpouring of the gift of mercy to forgive you. It's just the love of God's already been shed abroad in my heart. I just forgive you because Jesus said to forgive and the love of God leads us to do that. But you know, Mother Teresa, I think she probably had a special, I think she had Romans 12 mercy operating. The Romans 12 stuff is kind of above and beyond the normal basic responsibility of it. Now let's take serving. Pastor friend of mine, I, I preached for him several times. He's up in one of the north central states in the U.S. And um, I've preached for him many, many years. And um, I was preaching for him one time, and they had a new couple 
sitting on the front row. Now, this is a smaller congregation, so I kind of know people by, at least by face. And they had this new couple that was there. And this one time I was there, I did a Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and kind of an intensive weekend type thing. And I noticed, man, they are sitting there on the front row. They are leaning into the, they're taking notes. The, we had a couple times where we did pray for people. And man, they first ones to put their notebooks down, come up, they're ready for prayer. And this couple, they are just hungry. And... Um, I said to the pastor after one of the services, I said, uh, I said, you know, I know most of your people. I said, that, that new couple, I said, boy, they are really hungry, aren't they? And he said, yeah. He said, let me tell you their story. And the pastor shared with me that uh, they had started coming to church several months before. And um, that when they came, that she was in really bad shape. She had just had her fourth child and all four children were quite young. They weren't spread out real far. So she has four young children in the home, the youngest, of course, an infant. And um, she had had some pretty severe complications in childbirth. And they ended up doing surgery, and things didn't go well. And because of these complications in the surgery, she ended up, I don't know what the problems were, but she ended up in really severe pain. They had put her on some of the pain medicines, and she had gotten really addicted to the, you know, I don't know, some of the opioids or Oxycontin, I don't know what it was, but she'd gotten pretty addicted. And so she's, she's going in between dealing with pain and addiction, She's still having some complications from the surgery. Her youngest, the infant, is a very colicky baby. And, um, you know, this baby is just constant crying. And so really high maintenance. You know, a lot of pressure on this young mom. And she's not only trying to take care of the colicky baby, but she's trying to deal with the other three really young ones. They show up at church. And this young couple is sitting on the back row of church, and um, the three older ones, you know, uh, you know, two and four and six or something like that, you know, they're able to go into the children's classes, but the mom just doesn't want to, you know, because she she would feel guilty if she hands the baby off and just knows the baby is just going to scream the whole. Time The mom just feels guilty. So she sits at the back. You know, they're passing the little baby back and forth between themselves. She's not able to get anything out of church because, number one, the pain. Number two, her head's fuzzy from the stuff, the medicine, um, you know, complications from the childbirth, the baby crying and all that. Well, what happens is that... um, there were, the, the pastor told me there were three ladies in the church who really befriended her, started showing an interest and in just being a friend. And she began to feel comfortable. She opened up to these ladies about what she was dealing with, with the drug addiction and the challenges with her baby and her health. And, and, and they didn't judge her. They didn't condemn her. They just said, hey, we're here for you. And they became her prayer partners. Uh, they called her. She was able to call them. She began getting emotional friendship support. See, that's, you know, none of these ladies were pastors in the church. 
But they were giving pastoral care, expressing the heart of Jesus to her. And um, um, so one of the ladies, uh, she was an approved nursery worker, and she went to the department head, kind of explained the situation, and she went to this young mother, and this is what she said. She said, I know that you don't want to turn your child over because you feel guilty that the child is going to cry the whole time and that, um, you know, it'll be miserable for the nursery workers. But she said, I think God's put something on my heart. And she said, I have permission from the nursery department to give one-on-one care to your child in every class, you know, Sunday morning. I don't know if they do Sunday night, Wednesday night, what probably Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And um, I will give one-on-one care to your baby. And I don't care if your baby cries the whole time. I will hold your baby, pat your baby, walk with your baby. She said, I want you to be able to go sit on the front row of church. I want you to be able to worship God. I want you to be able to soak in the Word of God, saturate yourself in the Word. And she said, I think that would be a big key to you getting healing and your freedom and that type of thing. And she said, so if you're willing, it's your choice, but if you're willing, I will meet you Sunday morning and I will receive your baby in the nursery. I will have no other responsibilities than to care for your baby. Well, that was just enough to make that mother take that step and so now here's how, I, here's how I would like the story to go. This is how I wish it went. So the young mother shows up with her colicky baby. And the baby is crying. But as soon as she steps into the nursery and hands the baby off, the glory of God descends upon the room. The anointing falls. And the baby is peaceful and never utters as much as a whimper. Well, that's not really what happened. What, what really happened is the mother walks in with the colicky baby. She hands the screaming baby off to the kind lady, and the baby ramps it up about 10 more decibels and screams the entire church service. That's what really happened. But the mother and her husband come and sit on the front row. Yeah, she's a little bit, you know, unsure about the thing. But, but she's able to worship. She's able to sit and, and receive the word. And when she goes back, you, you moms know what I'm talking about. She gets close to the room and she knows that's her baby. Her baby's, at, you know, full volume and then some. And immediately she feels horrible. And she knows her baby's been crying this whole time. And she meets this blessed nursery worker who's going to, you know, have the biggest mansion in heaven. And um, she says, oh, I'm so sorry. And the, the, the nursery worker says, don't you worry about it. How was church? Oh, it was glorious, wonderful. I'll be here Wednesday night. You just... And, and so for... And the pastor told me that for the first several weeks... That baby screamed the whole time. And after a, few, after a couple of weeks, the baby would only scream for oh, 45 or 50 minutes. 
And then after a couple more weeks, the baby would only scream for 15 or 20 minutes. And after, but see what happened about the time the baby had gotten used to everything and was no longer screaming, guess what happened? Mama was totally healed. Mama was totally free from the drugs, totally set free from the addiction. And uh, by the time I show up now here, months later, I'm sure, you know, mom and her husband are still on the front row just receiving. Now, see, some people might not know the backstory. They might not know what happened behind the scenes. And they might say, well, so-and-so, man, she went to that church and, man, she, the worship and the preaching, man, that must be powerful worship. That must be great preaching. She got totally healed and set free. Yeah, it's good worship, good preaching. We would not in any way discount the importance of the anointing. But I'll tell you, if it hadn't been for a person who did serving... Now, you say, what do you call that? Is that serving? Is that mercy? Well, I think probably all of the above. Problem is, the, the issue is it doesn't matter what you call it. It's what she did. She did serve, and we'd say that is above and beyond the call of duty. That, that is mercy, and I think that's above and beyond the call of duty mercy. And see, that's where people have grace to do certain things. And so, uh, what we're looking at here in Romans chapter 12, let's look at this again. Romans chapter 12, uh, it says, let's just read it again. We have many members in one body, verse 4. But all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See, whatever gift you have, it's for somebody else. If I have a teaching gift, it's not for me. It's so somebody else can learn. If I have a serving gift, it's not for me. It's so somebody else can benefit from my service. If I have a gift of giving, it's not for my benefit. It's for whoever's going to be the recipient of my giving. This is what's so powerful about this individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given uh, to us, let us use them. What is it when people use their gifts? That is mobilization. And it's when people are mobilized, when people all begin to use their gifts as members of one another. See, all this is in the context of what? The body. That's why the local church is so important. It's in the context of the body. Um, then the, the believers are mobilized and then the church is empowered. If believers are not mobilized, if, in other words, if the believers don't use what they have, instead of the church being uh, mobilized, the church is paralyzed. And any time that you have a situation where people have this attitude, and I know you don't have this attitude, uh, but there are other churches that are still thinking, well, the pastor, he's the one we pay to do everything. 
And they think, well, our job is to basically be spectators and observers, and we pay the pastor so he can do all the work of the ministry. Where the reality is, this is what really the case is, you pay your pastor so he can get you to do all the work. Did you hear that? You pay your pastor so he can get you to do the work. Somebody help me out here. Don't leave me hanging up here. Somebody say amen. Amen. The, the job of the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. And that doesn't mean the pastor doesn't work. Don't misunderstand me. But his work is not to do all the work. His work is to mobilize the saints to do the work. Amen. Well, I hope you like session three better than you like session two. But we are going to take another break. And, um, and then we will come back. I, the session, I'm, what I'm going to share with you in session three to me is one of the, my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite things to teach. And um, it, to me, it, it opens up a world of understanding about how the church... It, what it, the lesson is this. We're going to be talking about multidimensional ministry. We've already talked about it a little bit in, in the fact that there's the foundation of the teaching, preaching, and healing. There's the, the next layer that Jesus introduced, the, the pastoral or the heavily relational uh, process level of ministry, and then the multiplication of labors. We're going to look at multidimensional ministry in a totally different light, um, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's go ahead and take a 10-minute break. And um, again, the books are back there. And we-